Welcome back to the Long Distance Love Bombs podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg, and today's guest is my friend, Chef Dr. Rob Graham. This dude is a New Yorker, Harvard-trained medical human who also, at the age of 45, went back and trained to be a professional chef. He is a big fan of integrative health. He speaks all over the world. Him and his partner, Julie Graham, who is amazing, have founded an online university. They're going to write a book. They have a really pragmatic, comprehensive, holistic approach to health and wellness. And in this episode, we dive deep into all of it. We talk about sleep, exercise, movement, nutrition, happiness, and uh, it's really good. I think you're going to love it. I think you're going to learn a lot. And at the end of the episode, we talk about specific things that you can do today to make your life better. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. Maybe I'll just start recording this and then we could just jam. Is that cool? Yeah, I think that's how most of my podcasts start is I'm just vibing with the person and then it gets to this place where I say, we should probably just start recording this because this is feeling fun and good. So, Dr. Robert Graham, is it Chef Doctor or Dr. Chef or what's your deal? So, it's interesting because I do have a lot of initials behind my name yeah. and people get confused, right? And so... I used to put the word chef at the end, but then with all the acronyms, people are like MD, the people, most people understand that, MPH, and then S-C-H-E-F. And so that's why I put chef in front now. So just like how you say, you know, Chef Michael or Chef Tony, Chef something. So it's Chef Dr. Robert Graham. Okay. Now, let me, let, me try, let me try it again. Chef Dr. Robert Graham, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Chef. No, thank you, Dr. Well, you know what's interesting? I had a similar one because I got ordained in the online ministry so that I could perform wedding ceremonies. And so I, according to the internet and a bunk piece of paper, am a reverend. So I learned that it's actually Reverend Dr. Jeremy Goldberg. The reverend trumps the, the doctor. Similar to the chef, huh? Yeah. I thought that was interesting. I was going to call you father. Uh, okay. <laughs> Father Doctor? Father. <laughs> um, okay, but hang on. We're getting distracted, and it's only been a minute. So, Rob, you are a, a doctor and a chef. That's kind of unique and interesting, right? So maybe you can unpack a little bit who you are, what your deal is before we dive in. Sure, 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 sure. Ancient Ayurvedic proverb. <laughs> when diet is wrong, medicine is of no use. When diet is correct, medicine is of no need. Oh, okay. So, so what does that mean? 3,500 years ago. So I'm a new messenger of an old story. And so hmm. if you really, if you kind of uh, break it down, before there were drugs, the great doctors, all they had was food, and then came herbs and spices, and then medicines. And so I always believe that, you know, where I see myself, is bringing back that notion of let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. First, I still practice medicine today and I still am a drug dealer, right? Because I'm still giving out a lot of drugs for these chronic diseases that patients are not willing to give up the thing that hurts them the most. Um, and oftentimes it has to, be, has to do with their food, their stress, the lack of exercise, the lack of happiness in their lives. So. I'm just trying to remind people of the way it used to be before we focus strictly on medications. Mm. So food is medicine. Food as medicine. Food Because I remember I saw a talk that you gave, I think it was in Palm Springs, and you had a, what is it, a medical script where you would normally write down the drug of choice that they would take to the pharmacist, and it said broccoli or Brussels sprouts or something like that. Am I remembering yeah, that right? That's exactly right. So one of, my, one of the things I did about 10 years ago no, but 12 years ago, was I literally thought, well, if I give, as a doctor, patients fill my prescriptions. So what if I start writing prescriptions for whole food plant-based diets? What if I wrote prescriptions for meditation or for hatha yoga or for love? Or would, pe would patients go out and try to fulfill it? And, you know, it's interesting 
The answer is yes. And so as a doctor giving a patient a prescription, they're a little more likely to fulfill and adhere to those recommendations. And so that kind of kicked off this kind of this funky world of how to intersect food and health back together. Yeah. It's because you're an authority figure, right? And if you tell somebody, look, what you really need is a bubble bath and a nap and two days off work, you don't need drugs. Then they'll be like, oh, okay, you're a doctor. You, we're, you went to Harvard, right? Or, yeah, so you're like, you're a Harvard doctor. Like, I trust what he says. You have that authority. You ever hear the joke, um, how do you know what so- someone went to Harvard? How, how is that? They tell you within the first five minutes of meeting them. <laughs> well, <laughs> did we make it? Has it been five minutes? I dragged, no, it, I dragged people, it out of you. Most people, yeah, you, most people, I usually don't tell people, most people like to be associated with a Harvard doctor. So I, I appreciate your, your acknowledgement there, Jeremy. Yeah. And it's just kind of letting people know that are listening right now uh, that you're actually a real doctor with a real practice and a real education that's science-based and you do good work in Brooklyn. No, no, I moved to Manhattan. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's another thing we didn't talk about. Oh. Wait, I've been there. I've been to your office. No, that was my Brooklyn office. Oh, shit. Okay. We brought it into, we brought fresh into the city, the Big Apple, into Manhattan. Nice. Congrats. Yeah. All right. So let me tell you. So, okay. so yeah, I, I am a board certified, I'm a Harvard trained board certified medical doctor who prescribes medication, pre- prefers to cook food for you and prescribe food as medicine. I also mm-hmm. have a master's in public health from the Harvard School of Public Health. You know your shit. I know my shit, you know, and so I'm board certified in both internal medicine and integrative medicine. I do mm-hmm. functional medicine as as I've been grandfathered into it because I've been doing integrative and holistic medicine for almost 20 years. Okay. Um, about two and a half years ago, I actually took off my white lab coat to put on my chef whites to become a professionally trained chef. And now working with food companies and trying to change how we eat in America because most of the things that are killing us and our parents are reversible and preventable by adopting a healthier lifestyle, focusing on a food first approach. That was so well said. Thank you. Yeah, you're impressed. Okay, so maybe I- I'm intrigued to hear why you decided to become a chef because that seems like a very rare decision. So you're practicing medicine, you have your own clinic in New York, life seems to be going pretty good, and then you decide to go back to school, so to speak. Yeah, at 45. Right, and so why? All right, so so it goes back, I guess, I'm not sure if you ever saw it. I did a a TED Talk a couple years ago. I did a TED Talk in 2015. And that's like, that kind of changed my life because it was kind of my calling card. Um, And so I'll just give you a a quick background of how I got to this kind of, uh, it's a friend. Uh, which I really want to dive into deeper uh, later, but so I was born. I was born in Jackson Heights in New York City, a very ethnically, culturally, uh, racially, um, linguistically diverse community. And I found what I found very, very, very early in my life is that every single person has their own kind of health belief systems, and everyone had their quote unquote chicken soup for the soul, right? The the the, the recipe that would heal you. My mom is a folk healer from El Salvador, and my dad's a biochemist. So my father always believed that research and development, R&D, always has the answers and can heal everything. My mom, on the other hand, believed that through food, relaxation, meditation, spirituality, and the laying of the hands and good intentions, that would heal. And so there I am in Jackson Heights, in New York City, kind of conflicted by this dichotomy of theory. And I figured maybe there's truth in both, um, which led me onto this path to study um, medical anthropology in undergrad while getting my uh, my undergrad in um, pre-med at at Queens College. Fast forward, I I, I got into medical school, started a complementary alternative medicine elective where I wanted to explore from an anthropological point of view, all of these forms of healing from acupuncture to biofeedback to chiropractor, naturopathic, osteopathic medicine. Um, and then I got into medical school and then realized that stuff wasn't taught. And so where do people find the integration of the East and West? Where do we find the connection between food and health, mind and body? And unfortunately, at that point, it was just starting to happen academically. And um, 
after my residency in internal medicine, so I graduated medical school, became a doctor of internal medicine. I did a fellowship at Harvard Medical School right at the beginning of this field called Integrative and Complementary Alternative Medicine. It was a three-year program where people like me were selected. Only two people were selected in the country, which is really an honor. On top of that, you got a master's in public health because they wanted to train the next, the next um, cohort of doctors, researchers, and educators. So it's similar to a PhD, right? So you become, you get a master's in public health with a medical background in integrative holistic medicine. Then I started realizing during my MPH that I met one of my mentors, Dr. Walter Willett, who, who was a professor of public health and nutrition at the Harvard School of Public Health, and realized, wow, there's so much research behind the power of food as medicine. And that kind of led me on this path. Remember, I was always interested in cooking because my mom always believed that food is medicine. Tu comida es tu medicina. Your food is your medicine. Eat your medicine, she would say to us. And she would cook every day, scratch cooking, fed by, made, you know, food made by real people and blessed with love, you know? And then my friends still remember her cooking to this day, you know? And so that's really the kind of house I was raised in. And then being a doctor, seeing all the ill effects of our bad health, um, processed foods, too much fat, too much salt, made me realize that there had to be a way that I get involved in the food game. And fast forward 15 years, I started taking doctors out of hospitals, put them into kitchens to teach them how to cook, built a rooftop farm so that we can change the way we feed our patients in our hospitals, started writing food prescriptions. And then, you know, two and a half years ago, went to culinary school because what I saw was happening is that healthcare medicine wasn't ready to change into healthcare, but food was ready to change into healthcare, meaning that the system of healthcare or medicine was so big, so lack progression that I figured I joined with the food system to literally start feeding people healthy food. And that's where I think my next, my next five to 10 years will focus on we're focusing on food businesses and food companies who want to support healthy behaviors through food as medicine. Mm. I love it. And so you went back to learn how to be a chef. I'm assuming so that you could cook good food, so you could prepare better medicine in a way? Yeah, exactly. So I actually, I feel that, you know, self-care is the best form of healthcare. And, you know, you feed our, you know, you feed, you feed, you, you, what you put in, what do you put in your body shows up. Um, and, you know, we're learning a lot about this from the role of the gut microbiome in mental health and overall health and well-being, autoimmunity, et cetera, et cetera. And I felt that, you know, as a chef, what the good food movement lacked are a couple of things. Number one, good food doesn't have to be expensive. I'm just talking about barriers, right? Because a lot of people think healthy food has to be expensive. And in fact, most cultures and communities are plant-based and it's heavily on whole grains and beans and plants. Number two, it has to be accessible. And so I love the fact that many people are starting to order the boxes of meal kits, but yet no one knows how to cook. This is the third generation of people that don't know how to cook, right? Um, and the last part, it has to be tasty. And I think, you know, growing up in the 1980s, when you think about healthy vegetarian food, you think about going to the Chinese restaurant and getting white rice and steamed broccoli. You might have that once in a while or under some diet, but it's not going to sustain you and maintain you. Mm -hmm. So you have to do something that's both um, convenient, affordable, and tasty. Mm. Yeah, and I had the great fortune of going to culinary school at a, at a health-supportive uh, culinary school called the Natural Gourmet Institute, which unfortunately uh, is no longer with us, but their curriculum has been absorbed by a very traditional culinary school, the Institute of Culinary Education, where we focus only on health-supportive training. Mm. And so really how to optimize flavor using the best techniques and the freshest ingredients. Yeah, I love that. And something that came up for me, because I'm staying with my dad right now and I'm plant-based, I think another perception in the public is that vegetarian food or plant-based food is terrible, cardboard, not good, undelicious, if that's even a word. It's just gross and crap. And why would you eat that stuff? Yeah. And so this, so, you know, a lot of, I see in, in the world of integrative and functional medicine, a lot of doctors are talking about the connection between food and health. 
going to your point here is that you're, you're, you're talking to a unicorn, right? Because there's only about 20 of us in the world that are both doctors and chefs. Okay. All right. Um, I took my horn down. Yeah, I was like, wait, did you just say that you're a unicorn? Okay, you did. Okay, I'm with you. So most people hear about this connection between food and health, but never seen a doctor who's actually called a doctor and a chef. You know, and, 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 and what, what people don't understand is that in culinary school, your main job is to optimize flavor. And what's interesting about that, that kind of principle in culinary school, the way you optimize flavor tends to be bad for your health. Well, you just chuck a bunch of MSG on there, right? And then it'll taste better? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> chefs use MSG a lot. But the way you optimize flavor is three things. Okay. Tradition. Fat, salt, and sugar. Okay? And so most restaurants will optimize your flavor by hitting you with a lot of salt, a lot of sugar, and a lot of fat. And over the past 30 years, as restaurants started adopting those kind of flavorful profiles, people just got fatter and sicker. Right, heart disease, diabetes, obesity, mm. and I think what we're looking for is a shift. And I was just supposed to be speaking um, at this conference on Monday, um, except for the fact that this coronavirus came through, so I had to cancel it. Uh, was talking to restaurateurs and food service providers on how this plant-based movement, but more importantly, the health-supportive movement uh, of healthy eating, is the fastest-growing sector um, in the restaurant industry right now. Plant-based foods hit $5 billion in 2019, expected mm. to hit $6 billion in 2020. Just, just four years ago, it was $3 billion. And so there was a lot of explosion over the last five years. And you can argue the fact that um, it might have been the explosion of Beyond Meat and Impossible Burger that kind of helped rise that. You know? And just on that point, I tell people to eat those kind of burgers just like you would do a normal hamburger, right? If you can eat a hamburger, eat it, you know, once a month, every other month or something like that. Do the same things for the Impossible Burger because it is processed. It's not whole food plant-based. Mm. It's, plant it's not whole foods, you know? And Michael Pollan always says, if it's made from a plant, eat it. If it's made in a plant, don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's very succinct. Yeah, I, I loved his books. I, one thing I recall from his uh, his book was, to shop around the perimeter of the supermarket because that's where the real food is. Exactly. You know, what's sad is that this is what things like doctors should be talking to their patients about. But mm. instead, you get, a, a, you know, a, a food journalist telling, you know, the great yeah. food movie, you know, talking about uh, how, how to eat right when, as a food journalist. And in fact, I think an apology to all your listeners here that doctors and medicine has forgotten about healthcare. care. Mm. What, what do you mean? And so I think, you know, in the last 50 years, as the explosion of medical devices and pharmacology really kind of was the driver of medicine, you know, we have forgotten about the tenets of health and care, which is really what we all want to be doctors for. We, we want to, you know, prevent disease, promote wellness, and, and reduce suffering. And that's healthcare. That's not medicine, you know. And I think mm. we can't wait for medicine to change. We have to be the change we reach which we wish to see in this world, like Mahatma Gandhi said. And we can't wait for the system to change. We have to change the systems. And I realized that the interconnection between food and health and the fact that diet is the number one cause of disability and death in our society, we have to engage with food companies who understand the economic benefit of supporting healthier, healthier mm. foods because patients are wanting it and people are shopping for it. So therefore, it's... And maybe it is just a strictly economic, but you know what? If I can balance the economy uh, of healthy eating as a side effect of being a healthier people and healthier planet, fuck, I'll do that, you know? Mm. Is the reason that doctors don't talk about nutrition and food simply because they don't have the knowledge or the, or the training? Yeah, it's a classic educational gap, I call it, right? And so... Current guidelines for medical education require all medical students to have 25, 25 hours of nutritional training during their residence, to, during their training. Only 20% of medical schools adhere to that minimum requirement, but yet 80% of doctors graduate feeling inadequate to counsel their patients about nutrition. So, so, so to be a doctor, you need 25 hours of nutrition training. During 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 their medical school education, so like one full day, and then you're saying twenty percent actually get that. Yes, but yet eighty percent want more. Okay, 
So there's a huge demand for that knowledge because they recognize the importance of it, but they're not actually getting that training. Yeah, one of the most important questions I get, you know, hey, Doc, what should I eat? I, I yeah. challenge all, all your listeners there. Go yeah. ask your doctor, hey, Doc, so what should I eat for this disease? Or I, I, <laughs> and, and you want to see a deer in the headlights. That's what you're going to find, you know, because, again, many doctors want to have that knowledge, but then are not taught. And so that, that goes back to the question about how um, healthcare or medicine, right, is delivered. Um, I, I say this a lot, you know, and it's not the doctor's fault. I think it's the educational system. Um, we, do, we do what we're taught, right? Mm. And, and everything in our lives, right? Um, and so therefore, if you're not taught it, you're not going to do it. And also on top of it, the financial incentives, you get paid by volume in medicine right now. The more people you see, the quicker you see them, the more money you make. Mm. And that, again, those are two competing two competing factors that really prevent health from happening in the doctor's office, mm. you know? And so then I took it upon myself, you know, after, so I just want to break down education, right? So you go to, you go to college, you go to medical school, you go to four years of medical school. And then after medical school, you do a, a, a residence where you become a specialist, right? And so you go into either pediatrics, OBGYN, internal medicine, family medicine, surgery. And so I did internal medicine. After that, you get your fellowship. That's when you become a specialist in, G, in, in gastroenterology, rheumatology, cardiology. I chose my specialty, specialty to be integrative medicine. And so I, I went through traditional medical school in, in residency in internal medicine, where there, it's interesting, there are no minimum requirements for traditional training. So think about that, you a cardiologist, or you see a gastroenterologist, let's go to gastroenterologist. You go to gastroenterologist because you have diarrhea or constipation. They are not taught how, what to ask you or what to recommend for you from a food-based approach for mm -hmm. those diarrhea and constipation. And, and, and similarly to heart disease or cancer, uh, nothing, or the microbiome, right? And so we're only starting to peel the layers of this onion where uh, it goes back to the roots, goes back to our roots of, I think, medicine. So, so a gastroenterologist, which is a doctor specializing in the digestive system, is not required to have any training about food. Correct. That's the weirdest. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Uh, okay. I, I didn't know that. They're so busy, you know, analyzing the, the fly product of it. Right. So they focus on the poop and not the food. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you are what you eat and you eat what, they, what, what animals eat, right? And so there's that whole connection, right? Yeah. And, but I think, you know, what's happening in the last probably 10, 15 years, and it's awesome because we kind of stumbled upon it. And so about 15, 20 years ago, um, there was a big NIH funding, National Institutes of Health funding, uh, to study the Human Genome Project, right? What are all our genes mean and our DNAs? And what's interesting, they stumbled into this fact that, that there is a living world on us and in us, call our microbiome. And many people think of the microbiome being just our gut microbiome. And that's why there's an explosion of probiotics and prebiotics and all that stuff. But most people don't realize that we live synergistically with a whole host of bacteria in our nose, in our mouth, in our ears, on our skin, and in us. And what's fascinating about how we stumbled into this is that we, Scientists couldn't explain for all of these gene expressions of these thousands of DNA that are not human and realize that they must have been from the bacteria in us. And so that's where, that's where this whole explosion in the last 20 years of the role of the microbiome in mental health, in cardiac health, in obesity, in metabolism, in autoimmune diseases really kind of shot up. And currently my practice, and, and we have common friends, you know, many of our friends have come to see me to test their microbiome. And the only way you do that is by giving me a sample of your stool. So mm. come, uh, many people say, I come see Dr. Graham and I put in a box. Uh-huh, right? beautiful. And so we are able to identify many, 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 many things and it's been a fascinating trip in the last so, 20 years. So you, you poop, just to continue this 
poop conversation. So you poop in a box, you send it off to a lab, the lab analyzes it and tells you this is what's in in the poop, this is the bacterial community or whatever, and then what do you do with that information? Yeah. All right. So so it does a couple of things. So I again, you know, um, 17 years ago when I started doing this, this kind of theory here, um, there's a lab that I use um, that I've been using for 17 years. The concept was called leaky gut. And I'm bringing this re really important because it's called leaky gut. And so the idea is that the intestinal tract leaks into our system and there exposes us to the external environment. And so if you think about it, we're, pretty a, we're a pretty sterile environment internally. So therefore, how does all this incidence, increased incidence of allergies, autoimmunity, eczema, uh, autoimmune diseases like thyroid conditions, uh, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, how, what happened in the last 20 years that has led to this explosion in prevalence of disease? And so to me, there's no other way, there's no other way that the external environment influences our internal environment besides our intestinal tract by the food we eat. And so therefore, now we, we are attacking the food that has leaked into our system. So what happens during this examination, you come to see me, you get a box, you go home and you do your thing. Yes. These three samples, okay? Because patients, you know, come in ready to, ready to do their thing in my office and I send them out, you know? And so I don't want anyone to come into my office, you know, <laughs> leave a deposit. Um, and so you go home with the kit, and you go home and you do your thing. And what you find is how well you're breaking down your foods, how well you're digesting, mm. how well absorbing food, what's your overall immune system, how much inflammation you have in your gut, and how you're metabolizing the food. Now, it's all based upon the bacteria that you have or don't have in your gut or an overproduction of bacteria called dysbiosis. It also tests for any sort of candida, fungus, or mycology in your gut and also tests for any red blood cells, white blood cells, and parasites that you have in your gut. And so I get a good picture of what the large intestine looks like. I also do a small intestinal test by having patients breathing in a bag. Because what ends up happening is, I just mentioned the large intestine. The small intestine is where all the beautiful absorption of nutrients happen. And you may have heard of the small intestine because of diseases like celiac disease. So when you have something like celiac, you're unable to tolerate gluten. And therefore, if you're unable to tolerate gluten, you're not going to be absorbing the nutrients that you eat. That happens in the small intestine. And so the only way to examine the small intestine is by a breath test. It's called the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth breath test. And so using that test with conventional laboratories and the stool test, I get a pretty good picture of what's happening from your mouth to your anus in terms of your microbiome. And then once I do that, I fix the problems either through a food-based approach, a supplement-based approach, or a drug-based approach, and then restart planting, replanting the good stuff. And that's farm. It, it, it's total. It, it's total ecology, and I am a human farmer, right? Yeah. And so you remove the bad, you remove the weeds, you remove the fungus, and you replant good stuff, and you sprinkle probiotics with the fertilizer, and you grow the beautiful tulips and roses. And then you live happily ever after. Amen. Or happier ever after, at least. Happier ever after, exactly. And I think you know, just for your audience, you know, like. I don't want everyone to go get probiotics, right? Because probiotics are beautiful things if, going back to your ecology analogy, if you have beautiful fruits and vegetables and roses and tulips in your garden and you sprinkle fertilizer on them, you're going to get a lot more of that. But if you have a, a, a garden full of weeds, you're just feeding the weeds. Mm. And so it's a, it's, a mis, it's a misunderstanding that many patients have is that you can crowd the bad by putting in more good. That doesn't happen in the farming world. It doesn't happen in the internal world either. Um, mm. And so if you don't feel better on a probiotic, it usually means that something is dysbiosis, dysbiotic, meaning that you have too much bad, not enough good in you. But if you feel good on a probiotic, go for it. Yeah. Okay. I love that. I think this is a good time to transition to f fresh. Now that, we're, now that we're kind of getting into a more suggestive advice oriented rant from you of like, cause I'm listening to you and I hear all the questions that I imagine most people have, which is like, just what do I eat? What should I do? Tell me, <laughs> tell me what not to do. How do I be healthier? And you guys have, a, I know cause I'm friends with you, 
but you guys have a really slick little acronym and now an online university that that takes a holistic comprehensive approach to health so can we can we vibe on that awesome awesome it's not slick it's fresh brother oh yes my apologies chef dr rob it's a fresh approach (laughs) okay that's a perfect start you know and so if you think about conventional medicine right it's old and stale and i think we need a fresh approach and a fresh start yeah you know and so that's that's kind of how the name Fresh came about. You know, I was, I'm from New York City, a kid of the hip hop era. And, you know, if you think about the word fresh, it means hype, cool. Uh, people from California took the word rad instead of it, fresh, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, what we've done, my wife and I really kind of established an acronym for what we call the five ingredients in your recipe to health, which, um, as of yesterday, has been pu- picked by a publisher, Simon & Schuster, to be a book. So coming to bookstores near you. Um, so fresh, fresh, the fresh five, food, relaxation, exercise, sleep, and happiness. So you come to the doctor's office, you come to me, you fill out a whole questionnaire online, hmm. knowledge. you come to me, see me in my office, and instead of going right into what the classical doctor says, what is your chief complaint? What is your problem? Hmm. We start a conversation on what are you eating? How are you relaxing? Are you relaxing? Do you find time to relax? How are you moving? How are you exercising? What's your sleep habits like? How well are you sleeping? Do you find yourself sleepless? Do you, do you have suffer insomnia? And then think the last one is happiness. And I think that's probably the most important of all, maybe behind food, but it's based on positive psychology. And it's a science, scientific study of human flourishing. And I think that's really important to understand when it comes to health and well-being, that it's just not about being healthy and well-being. It's really, truly trying to find your happy zone or trying to find what really, truly inspires you, um, what really makes you positively psyched, which Julie always mentions. And in Japan, there's a word for it called the ikigai. What is your purpose? Why do you get up in the morning? And I think having a conversation around health and wellness from a doctor's perspective it's really powerful because it's just not focusing on the problems. It's focusing equally important on the solutions. Mm. So I don't do it alone. You know, my wife, Julie, is a co-founder, the CEO of, of Fresh Med. And really, you know, when it comes to kind of motivational changing, using the techniques of motivational interviewing, finding out why you're not living your true self or being your best self, it's really not my it's not my it's not my jam it's not what i'm strong at um i can assess it but really working with health coaches yoga teachers meditation teachers positive psychology practitioners like julie and mark and all these great great minds that we have and we also have a registered dietitian because if you really want to get deep dive deep into nutrition um i'm pretty pretty well versed in it but if you need a meal plan and you need you know macros and micros when it counting calories or when i put you on a a very strict low FODMAP diet or gluten-free diet or um, a paleo diet. I think we should not be doing it alone and trying to hack our way through it. But there are professionals that would have a really good understanding and can really help you in your journey. So the fresh five, those are the five ingredients and every single patient that sees us gets that sort of uh, experience in their encounter in addition to the conventional history and physical that a trained doctor does. Hmm. Is it possible or does it feel exciting to run through those one by one so that people listening have a really sound understanding of, of that? Or do you want to talk about something else? I would love to, brother. I would love to. And so I, oftentimes when I give a talk or something like that, at the end, I usually end with my prescription. Um, okay. And each of them, what's fascinating about fresh, right? Number one, I think it's the freshest word in the world. Um, but on top of that, right, it's an acronym. And, yeah. and what most people do, if you, you know, we had the great fortune of hearing Michelle Obama and um, Oprah Winfrey recently at the Barclays here talk about their wellness journey. And everyone talks about it, right? And when you talk about your wellness journey, you talk about, oh, you know, I want to eat better. I want to sleep better. I want to hang out with better people. You know, I want to meditate. But we literally spell it out for you in a very simple, simplistic way, fresh. So when it comes to food, eat more plants. When it comes to relaxation, relax for 10 minutes a day. And it doesn't have to be done in the yoga, yoga, you know, in yoga class or meditation. Mm. You know, I find my relaxation by cooking. Some people find it in playing music. Some people find it in writing and journaling. So in poetry, right? And so relax, get out of your own head. 
for 10 minutes a day. Mm. Optimally, three minutes a day. You know, that's how long it takes to get into your mind to get into that relaxation response. Mm. Exercise, move, move for 30 minutes a day, right? What's the best exercise? I say some. Some exercise <laughs> is better. Some is better than none, right? Some is better than none. Mm. Um, and some is better than some, right? And so technically, the, the Council for Exercise Council of America says 150 minutes a week, 30 minutes a day is what we prescribe. When it comes to sleep, sleep seven to eight hours a night, period. People that sleep less than seven hours a night have 13% increased risk of death. So by all Wait, means... Hang on, hang on. Say, say, that, say that again slower. So people that sleep less than six hours a night have a 13% increased risk of death. Of just death outright. Dying. <laughs> yeah. By the way, that's the worst outcome. That's the worst outcome when you yeah. talk about health. And so it's no joke, you know? And so we often prioritize, we often prioritize our work mm. and others, right? Particularly our work to sacrifice sleep. Mm. But we, I believe that, you know, and others like Ariana Huffington and, and, and Mark Walker all believe that if we sleep well, we are well. Right, is because mm. it's a time for our body to, to like I said before, rest and digest, you know, and heal. It's a repairing mechanism for our bodies. And what's interesting, every fascinating here, every single mammalian species sleeps. Knows why. why we sleep, no one knows. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I saw. Um, so Matthew Walker's TED talk is fantastic, and I, I heard him on Joe Rogan, and it, it blew my brains apart and fundamentally changed how I look at sleep and. One of the points that he made that I thought was so powerful in response to exactly that sort of conundrum was, yeah, we don't really know why we're sleeping or exactly what's happening in each of these individual brain states of like the deep sleep, the REM, whatever. But what we do know is that we've been around for hundreds of millions of years and nature is really good and really efficient and it wouldn't make us do something unnecessarily or that was a waste of time and energy because when you're sleeping you're you have a good chance of being dead by a predator and so it's like understanding that we don't quite know what it is but recognizing that it's still vital yeah and the last but not the most important is happiness and we kind of combine it and i will go through all the happiness is described by um in in the field of positive psychology by three simple words by the late great Chris Peterson said, other people matter. And when we, when we, when we try to identify what makes us happy, it's that we're always on this corporate ladder of success, you know, uh, looks, weight loss, better job, more money. And it really, it's simple. And the science has shown it to be true. Other people matter. You know, social, social networks, social, social connections are contagious. You know, and so mm. I always tell people that one of the most important things you can do for your own health is to surround yourself with people that literally feed your mind, your body, and soul. Because the opposite will kill you, will hurt you, you know? And it's, mm. and it's slow, you know, it's what you call dying of a thousand little knife cuts instead of one, you know, one, one, mm. one dagger. Um, I think it's really important that people have to start realizing that the people that they surround themselves really have an important influence on our overall health and well-being. So let me run through them real quick, okay? Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to happiness also, you know, People always get confused. Oh my God, it's about happyology. You know, how do we get there? And so I just want to plug Julie. She, she has a book called The ABCs of Positive Psychology. And it's called Positive Psychology, Positive, Positivity Sight. And it, she, what she does in this really unique way is that she breaks down the 26 letters of her alphabet, uh, understanding the scientific, the scientific words, like for example, ah. Ah is her first letter. How many times have you stopped and experienced awe? And once you do experience awe, there's this ripple effect of happiness that happens to you. Mm. So she's been able to dive into each 26 letters, awe through zest, where the science has shown that if you explore those letters, those words, you find happiness. And so it's really in a great, you know, again, all about self-help, um, because not everyone can come and see us in New York City, you know, at Fresh. And so that's kind of what led us to start this online school, which I want to talk about too. But, but when it comes to the fact of um, thinking about these five ingredients, right? Food, eat more plants, relaxation, 
10 minutes a day, exercise 30 minutes a day, sleep seven to eight hours a night, and happiness, other people matter. And if you look at our, our fresh, fresh acronym, fresh word, the RX, the RX is uh, a prescription and recipe for health. Hmm. Most people don't know when you see an RX. Have you seen an RX on like in a store? Yeah, it's like the symbol for, for like going to get drugs. Right, exactly, exactly. And so going back, going back to the original kind of food as medicine, remember, before the Rx meant drugs, the Rx means recipe. Mm. And so it's an homage to, again, the roots of what healthcare really is. It's about food as medicine. Huh. I like that. Thank you. I thought for some reason, I thought you were going to go dark and like talk about, you know, how they used to bloodlet to get rid of disease and something like that. I don't know. That's where my well, brain went. And you know, that's how George Washington died, right? Of what? Of that? Yeah. I didn't know that. A little breakdown, a little jeopardy here. Yeah. So George Washington, interesting, right? So, you know, you got to study the history of stuff, right? The history of mm -hmm. medicine. And yeah. so this is where the word, I, I don't call myself, I call myself an integrative doctor, not an alternative doctor. Mm. Because back in the day, um, alternative doctors um, thought um, that fever was um, a result of something infesting you. And so the way you get rid of fever is you bloodlet. And so you let off the heat. And so if you imagine if you had a really high fevers and you need to, you know, to get rid of the toxins, you start bloodletting people. By the way, bloodletting, cutting people, you lose blood. Blood is needed for life. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty important. Yeah, it's really important. And so therefore, as what happened was that George Washington, during that time, went to an alternative doctor and started bloodletting. And obviously, you know, blood, blood is carried in, in a, by a molecule called hemoglobin. And if you don't have hemoglobin, you don't have oxygen car carrying capacity, and you die of cardiovascular disease. So... Actually, I don't think George Washington should have died when he did die, but it was because of bloodletting, by the way. Yeah. Wow. There you go. And if you're listening overseas, George Washington was America's first president. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And in fact, funny, you know, when uh, the first surgeons were, were, were barbers. Oh, that's what the pole's from, right? That's right. The red and white, the, sim the same symbol of medicine. So... That when a when a surgeon, you know, obviously if you think of a barber, sharp knife and everything, yeah. um, for surgeons, um, so it's kind of an interesting story. Huh. Uh, okay, wait, hang. We're getting distracted, Chef Doc. I know, Reverend. <laughs> um, what what else? Like, what do we? So, I guess for someone listening that hears this and says, "Okay, I should eat more plants. I should sleep longer. I should chill out." How do you recommend they start? All right, great. So, so obviously, you know, if you're local, if you come to New York, you know, I'd be happy to, you know, care for you. Um, you know, we have this beautiful office within this beautiful space called Wellness in Manhattan near Union Square, where, where the greatest uh, farmer's market is in New York City. Um, and it's, it's 20,000 square foot where we offer acupuncture, yoga, meditation, chiropractor, Pilates, um, everything, everything, literally sauna. We have saunas, we have doctors, we have IVs, we have nutrition. So it's really kind of a whole beautiful holistic health center. But if you can't do that, one of the things that Julie and I really are excited about is the scalability of this fresh model. And so um, a couple months ago, we started an online school. It's called FMU, Fresh Med U. FMU, hashtag FMU. It's all about you. And the whole purpose of what I believe healthcare is about, as I mentioned before, is self-care. And so, therefore, you take care of yourself because, as you know, um, Jeremy, is that you lead people on this walk, you know, mm -hmm. and you lead people. You don't force people, but you show them the way, you know, and you, you expect others to follow you in that path. And so, the analogy of a Sherpa is what I say we are. So, we would lead on your way to health if yeah. you adopt a fresher lifestyle or if you get fresh. Mm. And what's really exciting about it is that we partnered with a company, um, a grocery store chain here in New York, who wanted to introduce this kind of concept, this fresh concept to all of his employees. And so Julie and I started a online school, 26 weeks, 
where we break down each of these five ingredients one month at a time, a deep dive. The first month is kind of a general overview of what we mean by friends. And then each, each subsequent month, we actually dive four weeks into each of them, understanding both the science, but also how to translate that into practical steps you can change today. Um, hmm. If that's too much, we also offer a, a four-week crash course called Intro to Fresh, where, you know, I, Julian and I always go back and say, how come this stuff wasn't taught to us? I think everyone should know that we have a, everyone knows we have a stress response, but no one knows that we have a relaxation You have a relaxation response. Yeah, it's a relaxation response. Do you know what it is? Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah, do you know what a stress response is? Is that like a trigger or like how your body feels a certain way and you decide to get really stressed out and constricted? Yes, doctor. Is that right? And so a relaxation response would be the opposite, I imagine, of like, oh, I'm in a warm bath, so I'm just going to release all the chemicals to chill out and just breathe a little deeper and be mellow. Uh, it's exactly what, exactly that, Jeremy. And then, but it's based upon what you call the, the nervous system, right? We have equal and opposite nervous systems. One's called mm -hmm. the autonomic nervous system, which is the fight or flight driven by adrenaline and cortisol. Right, and then the opposite is driven by what they call the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and digest. And so, let's say a car is coming towards you. You know, you're not thinking: is it a guy driving? Is it a woman driving? Is it a Buick? Is it a, is it an Oldsmobile? Is it you know a Lamborghini? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the car is coming to me. I need to get out of my way. So all your neurological, physiological response is for you to get out of harm's way. Now the problem is that we in our society live in that constant adrenaline fight or flight you know and most mm -hmm. of the time it's not real danger it's, it's the perception of danger and therefore we also have an equal and opposite reaction called the parasympathetic nervous system which again is that relaxation response and so it takes about 10 minutes that's why we tell people to meditate for 10 minutes a day to tap into that relaxation response where we cool off the engine we turn it off mm. so therefore your adrenaline drops, your cortisol drops back to normal. And so you kind of feel this sense of calmness. And you can find it in a bubble bath, right? You can find it in meditating. You can find it in, in poetry. You can find it in cooking. You can find it in other things. And that's where I think a lot of people just don't know the kind of guiding principles for self-care. For example, for the food, for the food, for example, we talk about the importance of organic. We talk about the importance of eating whole food, plant-based diets. You know, we really dive, dive, deep, dive, dive deep into each of these pillars so that people have a better understanding how to be informed consumers in this very, very loud, confusing um, health and wellness market right now. Because mm. yeah, there's so much out there, right? And it seems like, from my perspective, every month or two or six, there's some new fad diet that everybody's doing that's the secret you know hack so to speak and i feel like a lot of people that i work with they don't necessarily want to hear that it's going to require action and dedication and you might be uncomfortable for a while before you get the benefits of all the stuff you're doing yeah and i think it starts with awareness i think a lot of it number one there's no diet for everyone mm. right that's and that's really what kind of ticks me off a lot about this, um, the food and diet industry right now, is that if you think about it, what's happened in the last 20 years, we've had, you know, our bad cast of characters. 25 years ago, fat was bad, <laughs> right? Then carbs were bad, right? Now, what's the bad one now? Gluten, right? Gluten's bad. And then you got some doctors out there saying that beans and legumes are bad, right? Eggs are bad and, you know, meat's bad. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I try to focus on, on the, on the whole kind of fresh thing, especially during these troubling times where um, it seems a lot that we're being divided. I try to find unity in my And that's why when it comes to food, eat more plants. I don't think anyone from, you know, the most paleo keto guy, you know, to my vegan friends can argue the fact that let's find common ground in everything we talk about. Mm -hmm. And that's eat more plants is so important, I think, for all of us, um, especially when you're looking at, the, you know, how it affects your microbiome, you know. Um, and so 
people often say, well, when do I start? I say, start on Monday, make Monday meatless. Uh, I am a brand, an ambassador for Meatless Monday, and I think it's a great way. It's 52 weeks out of the year to have a fresh start. You know, 52, 52 weeks out of the year to do that. So what does that mean to be an ambassador for Meatless Monday? So I believe that eating more plants is good for you and good for the planet. And that's mm -hmm. it. You know, um, you know, Sid Lerner, the, the CEO of Meatless Mondays, it's really interesting cat. He was one of the original Mad Men um, off, off Madison Avenue, uh, that whole show, Mad Men. Mm -hmm. He was one of the first original guys. And uh, he, helped, he helped us conceive the kind of the, the, the message of Fresh as well. Um, and he's a dear friend. And he's basically, his mission is really to, in, to bring back this notion of, you know, by, by reducing the amount of animals that we eat, it's not only good for you, but it's also good for the planet. And I think, I look mm -hmm. at it differently. I look, if we eat more plants, you know, we don't focus on what not to eat, right? By eating more plants, we just crowd out the bad. And so therefore, and again, it's great for human health and good planetary health. And I think you mm -hmm. can't separate you can't separate both. Have you, uh, this is a tangent, but have you seen this movie with Tom Hanks about Mr. Rogers? I loved it. Did, do you remember the part when Mr. Rogers is in the restaurant and he says, I don't eat things that used to have a mother? Yeah. <laughs> it just made me think of that. Because I often say that uh, I don't eat things with faces. Yeah. It's just, and 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 for me too, I as like, I just want to offer my own personal perspective on this. I've been vegetarian for like 10 years or something like that. And it was really awkward and uncomfortable at the start, like anything new and different. And then it just kind of becomes normal. It becomes habitual and you don't have to think about everything. You don't have to try as hard. And so just if you're listening and you want to lean into any of this that we're discussing on this on this conversation recognize that there is going to be a little bit of discomfort because it's going to be different and different always is a little bit uncomfortable and don't take that as a bad sign or a sign that you're not doing it right just take it as a sign that you are doing it right and things are changing yeah and i think you know there's a great quote i love quotes but my, my one of my strengths is not reciting quotes That's <laughs> <laughs> I think what you do and how you freaking go can riff and memorize a, a poem. It's create a poem. A, create a poem, bro. It's, yeah. it's just freaking amazing. So we all have our strengths, right? Yeah. And something like this. You ready? Okay. Some things that hurt you the most teach you the greatest lessons of your life. But are you willing to give them up? Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's like, what are you willing to give up in order to become the best version of yourself? Yeah, and it's classic, you know, in any sort of, you know, and I know uh, we have we have common friends, you know, and 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 we get stuck, you know, alcoholism, drugs, um, mm. even even relationships, right? Think about the alcoholic, you know, the alcoholic knows that this alcohol is killing them, mm -hmm. but they're not going to give up the things that hurt them the most. Yeah, you know, and I think that's what you're going with. I think you know, it's it's that uncomfortable uh, part of change, uh, but change, you know, that's the first step, right? You need a growth mindset that tomorrow will be better. And if you talk mm -hmm. to any addict, right, they don't say you know, it's day by day, hour by hour, you know, yeah. and I think it's fascinating. It's, a, it's, it's something that we all always have to be um, aware of what, what is literally feeding us and what is hurting us. And are we willing to give up the things that are hurt, that hurt us, you know, and that's, 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 you hit it on the head, Jeremy. That is the, the magic, I think, of what Fresh does, you know, and I don't do it alone. I do it with Julie, you know, because all, all, many times, Julie calls it all the time. It's the aha moment. You know, you can hear the same thing over and over again. And it's that one thing or that one person or that X factor Julie mentions that, that changes your mindset. And you say, fuck it, I'm never going to do that again. Or I'm about to change. And like, you know, I'm, I'm being somewhat dramatic about it. But like, with, even with, you know, leaning into eating more whole food plant-based, right? Um, I think, you know, transitioning is really important. And that's why I do like something like Meatless Mondays. I'm not telling you to go vegan. I'm not telling you to become vegetarian. But just give it up one day. See how you feel on Tuesday. See if the acid reflux is better. See if... <laughs> How you feel on Tuesday by not eating meat on Monday, you know? Mm. And I always say that the greatest benefit is the greatest health outcome that I try to optimize is feeling good.
good, you know, and there's no, but when you feel good, you do good, you know? Yeah. And that's what it's all about, right? It's not about how you look in a certain outfit or, you know, the complexity of your skin. It's like, do you actually enjoy your life? Mm -hmm. Right. I, I think that's so important. Brother. I think, and it's not a quick fix, man. You know, both of us have been, we've been in school a long time and I said, getting healthy is a verb, you know, it takes, and it's not mm -hmm. a quick fix. It does not, you know, an overnight success story. And a lot of, you know, a lot of the publishers I, would, I was pitching my book to, they were saying, no, we, we need a six-week crash diet. And I'm like, I don't believe in that shit, you know? Like, <laughs> that's small, you know, Darwinism. I like Darwin, right? Small, steady changes over time. Mm -hmm. You know, that's called evolution, you know? And I think we're all trying to evolve into a better being. And it really requires the food, relaxation, exercise, sleep. And it really requires all of it. Right, it is because you can't meditate yourself out of a bad situation. You can't run away from a bad diet. Right, and so you know it takes work, it takes verb, it takes action. You know, and uh, that's what we hope to you know embark with our our our, um, our friends and our listeners and your listeners. Really, it's um, it takes action, and I think if it's not so hard, you know, it's not so hard if you're given a roadmap. And I think yeah. that's. What yeah, well, one thing I love about the work that you guys are doing is the holistic nature of it. And so just to continue that example, you can't eat enough vegetables uh, to get healthy if you're sleeping four hours a night. Like if you're super stressed and you're not exercising ever, like no amount of broccoli and vitamins and supplements is going to fix you, quote unquote. And so I, I love that it has the different components. You know, and it has, you know, each of them are very powerful. But synergistically, it's a superpower, mm. you know, and I think that's really, that's the message, you know, and I think we have to get away from that. You know, and I was telling these publishers, listen, it's not about, med they said, give me, give me a quick, how can you quickly meditate? And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> how do you exercise without exercising? Yeah. That's what you want, you know, like, how do you find happiness without doing the self-work? You know, like, it, it doesn't work that way, you know, and I think. That's what we, we as a society have to evolve into getting away from the quick fix so that you look good in, for that wedding six weeks from now, right? Yeah. It's, it's part of your story. So that, that's... Dude, I, I just love you, man. I love what you guys are doing. You and your wife are a dynamic duo. I'm glad that we're friends. And I appreciate all the knowledge you just dropped. I feel like a lot of people are going to resonate with this episode and hopefully make some changes, if only that they're sleeping a little bit more and not eating meat on Monday. But uh, any lasting words of wisdom or something we haven't covered? Yeah, you know, one of the things I really wanted to be when I grew up was you, Jeremy. I wanted to be a marine biologist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a marine biologist anymore, man. Oh, you're, you, you, gain, you gain that degree, brother. You always have it within you. Just like riding a bike, you never forget it. Yeah, that's, that's very sweet of you, man. And... Uh, I look forward to hanging again one day soon. I got to get out to New York. Come on, anytime, brother. You know, jump in my sauna, jump in anything you want when you come in. And, and um, I look forward to hearing you. And next time I'll interview you, uh, you know, what is it like to be a reformed marine biologist? Yeah, a recovering scientist, as I describe myself. Hey. Um, but I will, um, I'll include links to all this stuff in the show notes so people can check out your Fresh Med U, the online stuff, Julie's book. And, um, and if they're in New York, uh, where exactly can they find your office? Yeah, go to freshmednyc.com. I'm at 95 University in Greenwich Village. And you guys are on Instagram as well, I know. Yeah, freshmednyc on all handles. All right. You're a gem, man. Thank you again. In complete gratitude, brother. That was great. We just crushed a podcast. So uh, after we finish recording... Dr. Rob said to me, yeah, you know, people have told me that when they interview me, it's like drinking out of a fire hose. And I said to him, good and thank you, because that makes for a really entertaining and enlightening podcast experience. Am I right? Dude knows so much about so many things. I hope you found that informative. I learned a lot. I'm ready to 
reinvest in my health, in my exercise, in my sleep. Meatless Mondays, dive into that shit. It's a thing. And maybe get some rest, meditate, eat some broccoli or some Brussels sprouts. It's worth it, you know? Our health is the most important thing that we own. And I think it's good that we step back sometimes and reassess the truth in that and to prioritize ourselves. So do that. And thank you again for being here. I adore you. I'm glad that you're listening to my voice right now. It is meaningful. It matters. You matter. And thank you again also for the five-star ratings, the shares, the messages, the reviews. All of it is so rewarding and helps me to live my dreams. So I appreciate you. I adore you. I love you. I'm proud of you. I think you're just a great human. And I will talk at you soon.